I'd love to hear what your favorite quote is. Movie, television, let's, let's hear a couple. Yes. Show me the money or show me the beef, okay? If you're really old, yes. Go ahead, make my day. Dirty Harry is one of the greatest philosophers of United States history. There's no doubt about it. Anybody else? Uh, from uh, Cool Hand Luke. I've seen these movies, okay? I've seen these movies. Okay, L listen to these. When Barb and I are in traffic and we're trying to get out of it, we look at each other and say, punch it, Chewy. That's from Star Wars, right? Um, or when another one of our favorites, Young Frankenstein, when we're telling somebody to, to you know, to, to follow us, we say, walk this way, and we start going like this. Um, uh, or in our marriage... We quote a uh, love story. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> but then we, about a few years later, we saw another one. It wasn't a big movie, just one for TV. But we were watching it together. We went, oh my gosh, are we going to start using that one with one another? When we're not, when we're not quite in sync with one another, you know what that means, okay? Uh, one of us will look at the other and teasingly say, if you think I'm going to apologize, you'll grow old standing there. <laughs> you see, this Christmas, is in just four months, when our family uh, has its command performance, all my children, all three children, have to come together and, and live for four or five days in our home for Christmas. Every other Christmas, is, this one will be. Uh, we're going to tell stories, and, and, and all the in-laws are going to watch us and say, you're really weird, and we are. But these are the phrases that will still come up even though the children didn't see the movies, they're too, too young to have seen the movies, they'll know, oh, here goes dad, here goes mom, and we'll go through these. These are quotes from shared family experiences. So let me ask, what quotes from the Bible do you often repeat from your years following Jesus? There's one that's from television and movies. That could be in the Bible. I love it when a plan comes together. A-team. Also, Jesus Christ. Okay? But A-team used that. So here are some others that, that maybe you've heard of. Uh, fear not. You can't read five pages of the Bible without you seeing that. Nothing is impossible with God. I have plans for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity. I will bless you. I love all these promises, but also I'm constantly aware that there's warnings in Scripture, too, that I have to be aware of. God disciplines those he loves. Ooh-ooh. If I had the freedom, I'd just cross that one out and said God only blesses the ones he loves, but God disciplines the ones he loves. And, and, and as we look at the life of Joseph and come nearly to the end of it, uh, we, we're looking at Joseph and we understand that you know, there is a phrase that is repeated often, at least eight times, as we look at the Lord uh, and as he deals with Joseph. And it just says this, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. When angels appear, they often say, hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. The Lord was with Joseph. Because as we look at it behind all the history and all the things going on, uh, throughout the story of Joseph, we could look at it in a human sense and say, this is the story, this is the plot line. But if you look at it, you miss what's really going on. The Lord was with Joseph. 
even Egyptian leaders who do not believe in the Elohim that this Lord is, conclude great that God is greatly blessing Joseph. And so this is the quote that I want to start using from the Bible when I, the next time that I find myself in trouble. And then I want to end with the A-team. I love it when God's plan comes together. Because this is what we see going on. You see, as you read Joseph, you can say there's a lot of human intentions involved. Not all of them good. But then God also has divine intentions. So we watch the story of Joseph as he moves from slave and goes downward to convict. And then suddenly upward to prime minister of all of Egypt. His brothers come to Egypt after selling him into slavery, they come to Egypt for food in a severe famine, and Joseph disguises them, uh, disguises himself, and through that disguise, he tests them. And through the test, once the tests are over, he reconciles with them. Not revenge, reconciliation. And then the uh, 11 brothers return to their father, who is now restored to the son whom he thought was dead. It's a fairy tale, isn't it? It's a fairy tale ending. But that's not the whole story. It's not the whole God story. It doesn't explain the divine intentions. What is it that God is doing in the background? What is it that he's trying to accomplish? What is it that he's using in people's lives? You see, uh, first of all, we want to look at the wise planning that goes on here. And I mean wise planning. Um, because it begins at the, at the very beginning of Joseph's ascension. Uh, when he interprets the two dreams that Pharaoh has, the Lord is with him and gives him that ability to interpret dreams. And the two dreams uh, both say the same thing, that there's going to be seven years of uh, a bountiful, abundant harvest. But those seven years will be followed with another seven years of extreme famine. Two periods of time. Great abundance, nothing. No, I mean, just severe famine. Well, in the words of uh, one of the candidates for president running right now, the harvest for the first seven years would be huge, right? And more than that, uh, after as the next seven years come, the harvest will be pathetic. More than that, because all the farmers are idiots and losers. And that's how we might look at it from the human side. And as this is explained, Pharaoh has to make some sort of a decision. What am I going to do about it? You know, some people could panic and just run around. And others could be, you might say, lost in sort of a, a numbing fatalism. Well, we'll just sit down and wait to die. The country will go to pot. I can't use that term anymore. <laughs> the, the country will decline... It may even disappear. But there's nothing we can do about it. It's too big for us to try and change. Well, he tells Pharaoh his plan. He says, let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. And then he goes on in two verses later, and he says, the food should be held in reserve for the country to be used uh, during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so the country may not be ruined by the famine. Very simple plan. Find the people, commissioners. Take 20%. You might say, only 20%? Yeah, only 
uh, of each of the harvest and place it in reserve. You see, the farmers of that day, there was no record of them having uh, storage facilities. They lived year by year. And, and so they would just have enough to eat and then possibly enough for seed the next year. Today, we'd call that a tax today for a disaster tomorrow. It wasn't optional, but the farmers didn't seem to be too concerned. They had so much harvest, they couldn't store it, and they didn't complain. At least there's no record of it. And we have no idea how Joseph came up with this plan. It seems to be off the cuff. He just blurts it out. But it comes out of wisdom. And as you study scripture, wisdom is both a gift of God, first, but it's secondly, a uh, developed skill. In other words, as you use it, you get better at it. As you choose not to use it, you get worse at it. But it's also a gift. And we find in both ways, God blesses the results. And, And when I say he blesses it, please understand this. God just doesn't bless believers. I know some who do not trust God who are very wise. And I listen to them. I don't listen to them about their faith, but I listen to their plans. And I know some who believe that I would never listen to. Because they seem to lack wisdom. It is a gift of God, but it also develops as a skill. Well, this time, because of the great plan that he presents, and the fact that it can be listed in just three simple thoughts, find the right people, take 20%, uh, build storage facilities that you don't, that don't currently exist, and hold the rest in reserve. Just three simple parts to it. He presents that, he's promoted for it, and he's put in charge. So we see that a blessed result comes about. Such a simple, wise plan. What is it? It says, so first of all, it deals with his family. His family immigrates to Egypt because they cannot uh, care for themselves, provide for their needs uh, there in Israel. So it says, Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them the property in the best part of the land the district of Ramesses, as Pharaoh directed. In other words, Pharaoh gave permission. Now, if you look at this plan, it goes deeper than just what it looks like. They're given good land. You can't beat that, can you? And 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 and, and more than that, uh, you know, as they get the land, they also were put in a place where they will be secluded. They're put in the east part of the Nile Delta. But the reason they're secluded is because they're sheep herders. And the Egyptians don't like sheep herders. It's, it's sort of an untouchable class to them. They, they just never mix with them. Now, think about it just a minute and I'll fill in the blank here. Why is it good to be secluded? Well, one of the problems that Israel would have in the future is they would intermarry with non-believers. And the faith would be diluted over centuries. And they would take up idolatry. By being secluded, they were allowed to grow and thrive. And there wouldn't be a lot of intermarriage between the cultures, but more than that, there wouldn't be a lot of diluting of the faith or, or syncretism of their faith. Egyptians just despised them. They'd leave them alone. They'd even maybe put a fence around them because they didn't want them in. There'd be no melting pot. There'd be no intermarriage. There'd be no idolatry. That's a good plan. 
I'll tell you why in just a bit. The next part is that a nation would be saved. And what do I mean by a nation being saved? Uh, Egypt itself. God also desires to save Egypt, not just the Jews. So when the crops fail, the Egyptians who count on an annual yield uh, go to Joseph and they buy grain for themselves to eat. And so they can eat some now and plant the rest later. But soon they have no money left because they've been, you know, given all their cash to Joseph. Now, this is a classic story, and some of you who are politically minded have read this and go, uh-uh, I don't want this to happen. But let me just read it. I'm in uh, Genesis 47, beginning at verse 14. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt. All means all. He got it all. Um... Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain that they were buying. And he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. He didn't keep it for himself, but he gave it to Pharaoh. And when the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is used up. So Joseph says, well, I'll buy your livestock. So he buys all their livestock. I mean, all, all, their sheep, their donkeys, their horses, their cattle. He buys it all. And with that, he gives them grain for the next year. And then guess what happens? There's another year of famine. The crops don't produce. They plant seed, but nothing comes out of it. So then they sell, all we have left is our land. So he sells them. I mean, they sell their land to, to Joseph for seed, for food. And then... They say, and the only other thing that is left is ourselves. So they sell themselves to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's got it all. They have nothing that they call them their own. Now, um, what would you call that? I'd call that big government, right, for you conservatives. <laughs> big government. Uh, or, 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 or for those of you that like big government, I'd call it a wonderful safety net. Okay? It fits both descriptions. But the one major thing is that Pharaoh's got it all. So, <clears throat> at the end of this time, uh, you would say, okay, uh, they're, they're approaching the end of the seven years. What's their attitude? And, and you talk about a wise plan done and executed perfectly. Look at their attitude. At the end of these seven years, they look at Joseph and they say, we are so grateful for all you've done for us. Thank you so much. Uh, From verse 25, you have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh and what they mean is forever. Uh, Probably what they meant was, you know, for their lifetimes. They loved Joseph and Pharaoh for what they did. We will be your slaves forever. Now, I have no idea, you know, how he conducted himself, but he must have done it wisely because both Pharaoh and the people loved Joseph. Pharaoh for making him the absolute ruler, owner of every bit of land except for what the priests own, and, and, and the people are thankful to Joseph for their very lives. That's, but the nation is saved. That's the blessed result. So again, that's the story. What's God's intentions here? What is God doing that if you do not look behind the scenes, you might miss altogether? What is it that he is accomplishing? Well, one of the things that I've already touched on is he, he, he 
puts his nation, Jacob and his 12 sons and their family, he puts his young nation of only about 70 people in a secluded spot. And, and as they're in that secluded spot, God is at work. And he is building his plans for eternity. He has a kingdom both here on earth and in heaven. And with the Jews placed uh, by Pharaoh's order in the best pasture land, they begin to swell in numbers. They begin with 70, and in less than 500 years, they're over 2 million people. There's no immigration. Just the usual way of repopulation. Having babies. That, and here's my math, you, you can test it if you want, 300,000 times return. Not bad. Hooray for the Jewish woman. Not bad. And, but what is going on in this time is God is building his nation as he promised he would to Abraham. From one man would come a nation as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And here's what you need to know about God and his people, the Jews. Never count out the Jews. Do not abandon them. Will they make great decisions as a nation? No, not probably not. But don't turn your back on them. God will never count them out. They're his chosen people that he has set aside to display his glory. They have been, they are, and they always will be his chosen people. And even though they're not necessarily the most righteous of all the people, uh, keeping the law of Moses as, as was given to them, they will be his people now and forever. Do not abandon them. But that's just the beginning. Because in the same way in which uh, he said to Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, he looks at another Jew named Peter. And in the days of Jesus, he looks at Peter and he says, Upon the rock of the faith that you just expressed in me, I will build my church. And that is another promise that he is keeping, will keep, and will keep until he returns. I will build my church. And sure enough, the church has continued to multiply even in the worst of times. Followers of Jesus, wherever you go, are multiplying. Uh, as I go to help to encourage the national uh, pastors of Bhutan and Nepal in November, I want you to know it's swelling without me going. It's growing because they are reading the word and they have national pastors there that are doing the work. I'm just going to go help and encourage them. You have to get out a map to find out where Bhutan is. So do I. It's not huge. It's small. Okay. But as I go, I'm just saying, God, you're building your church there too. Without me. Now with me a little bit, but without me. And so it is around the world. Well, if Jesus says that he's going to build his church, guess what he's going to do? Okay, that's because you're wondering if you were supposed to speak and if you had the right answer. You're supposed to speak and you had the right answer. If God says he's going to build his church, what is he going to do? Yes, he is. He will. He will build his church everywhere where people reside. And the other great intention here 
is please understand that um, God wants to honor wisdom. His other intention is to build wise leaders that other people will honor. Just as they were honoring Joseph, believers who, who exhibit God's wisdom will be honored and God will be honored through it. Now, in the story of Joseph, God steps in through dreams and he opens a window to the future. But that's it. Name one other miracle in the life of Joseph. There aren't any. Name one display of power where God steps in and just changes everything. There aren't any. He puts Joseph in the middle of a coming disaster and Joseph offers Pharaoh a plan. Pharaoh accepts Joseph's plan and Joseph executes it. No miracles. Well, I thought the Bible was about miracles. Well, there's a lot of miracles in the Bible, especially in three certain time periods. But what God is blessing here is a wise plan. Even though it was an off-the-cuff plan that he just blurted out. And that wise plan, God blesses to save lives. I know that some of you, uh, you know, have faced difficulties where you where you're praying for a miracle. And I don't say, don't pray for a miracle. Pray for a miracle. And I know some of you have had extraordinary answers that you love to share. But others of us have prayed, and we, you know, the only answers we get are either not yet or definitely no. So let me ask, do you pray for wisdom in rotten circumstances? Or do you just pray to be delivered? I'm not saying don't pray to be delivered, but do you pray for wisdom? In the book of James, it starts with count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when these hard times come upon you. This is how the book starts. And why? Because if you count it all joy, understand that what God is going to do through these hard times is build your faith in him and build your character of integrity. He's going to build your faith in him and he's going to build your character through it all. That's a great promise. But in the same paragraph, he says, Now, knowing that that's going to happen, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. In other words, in the adverse circumstance, James, who is called the brother of Jesus, says, Ask God for this. And then what the next thing he says is, God wants to say yes. To your prayer request. The, the wisdom he's talking about comes from God, comes from above, and God freely gives it. He wants to give it. Now, just think for now. We live in a culture that specializes in pain avoidance. The, the best life is a life with no adversity. So we try to eliminate it. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but it's unrealistic. I don't think you're going to live a life with no adversity. And and so the idea here is that God wants to use adversity in your life for many things. And two of them are trusting him more and growing in wisdom. So let me just walk you through a few things that God has done. Joseph gives Pharaoh a plan and the plan works. God blesses it. Let's keep going forward. Ruth wisely chooses to devote herself to her I'll just say it, her whining mother-in-law, rather than return home to her own family. And out of that comes David. Let's keep going. 
David says wisely that he will not harm Saul because he is the Lord's anointed king and he can't do that. So God takes care of Saul and God takes care of David without him shedding blood. Solomon asked God for wisdom to rule and God gives him a double portion. Daniel in in the exile knows when to compromise and when to speak the truth, even in the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar. And he knows how to set a standard for integrity. Esther has the wisdom to throw a banquet for her king, her husband king, and to explain her problem. But she does it through a banquet. Two banquets. I guess she knows wisely. It's easy to say yes after a good meal. So she does it twice. That's not a miracle. That's wisdom. Um, uh, Nehemiah puts his energy into building a wall. And as he builds the wall, it causes even more conflict. But when he's done in just 52 days, you know, the, the city of Jerusalem is restored in its security and its pride. Today, with Boston as our model, we'd call it Jerusalem Strong. So let me ask, do you just pray for miracles or do you pray for wisdom? Every Sunday, I ask God, at least that I'm preaching, I ask God, Lord, are there some people that this message really pertains to in terms of the things that are going through in their lives? Now, often, they're not here. That's okay. Other times, I'll just hear a good message. And then often someone else comes up and said, Did, were you thinking of me? And I said, no, not really. But I asked God, Lord, I've been praying for this person and this message from your word fits their circumstances. Let me ask another question. How many of you sort of like this new facility? One hand, two hands? Okay. It was wisdom that got us here. What do I mean? Let me take you through the story again. I haven't said it in five or six months. We had already accepted a plan to build an addition on our, on our old property. And I was looking forward to it. I had gotten engaged in it. And one of the leaders in our church, who I will not mention, but I love dearly most of the time, um, <laughs> one of the leaders in our church said, please, why don't we just go over one more time and see if the land is available? I saw it as a waste of time and a distraction until I signed the letter or signed the pledge saying, I'll help pay for this land. It was wisdom that said, let's try one more time. Because the season was right. God had prepared the owner to sell it. And I would never have gone. I'll choose this anytime over what we left. You would too. Okay. Many leaders have a great passion and, 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 and they love people to follow them in their passion. But Proverbs teaches us that they also need wisdom. It says this, By me, wisdom, kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. If you want to get a second term, be wise. <coughs> if you want to get a third term, change the constitution. But if you want to get a second term, just be wise. That's good government. King's reign and just laws are made. The people are happy. 
It's also good business. Uh, management expert Jim Collins, who lives you know just in the Boulder area, uh, gave one necessary quality for corporate leaders who succeed in turbulent times, and it's just one quality: self-control that brings stability and confidence to shaky situations. In other words, he doesn't panic. He doesn't say, well, that's it, you know, we're done, it's just fatalism. They show self-control, and it results in the whole corporation being stable and confident. How about your home? How does wisdom help your home? You're going to need wisdom when a neighbor takes advantage of you, when a family member moves in and sponges on you, when a daughter is crying, when a son is bullied, when a spouse is depressed. And you ask of God, and he wants to give it. The final thing about wisdom is you need to make a plan. And by a plan, I mean a one-note card, three-point plan, okay? Sorry, engineers who want a huge spreadsheet, cost, time analysis, and all of that stuff. I mean, that's fine, too. It's just that you bore me when it comes time. What do I do now? Okay, I'm just confused. Make a plan. And make it so simple that you can remember it without the note card. What was Joseph's simple plan? Find the right people, take 20%, put it in storage, and it was enough to save a nation. Find the right people. I mean, he had papyrus cards, but you get what I mean. That's all it was. And finally, when it's over, and you understand that there's something in there that you can work on daily... uh, Understand that the circumstances will probably change as you work through this. You'll not be as stressed as earlier. But finally, when it's all over, just give thanks. Honor God because you ask for wisdom and he is blessing your request. The Lord is with you and he loves it when a plan comes together. So let me ask, what situation are you now facing where, yes, A miracle would be nice, but if there's no miracle, I need wisdom. What do I think? What do I say? What do I do? Lord, what's a simple way to get through this? Help me not just to endure, but to succeed. Help me to have other people join in with me because it makes sense to them too. What's the request that James says, give your request to God? Because he gives his wisdom freely. Let's pray. Lord, we do give you thanks because we realize that too often we take the credit when we have asked you for wisdom and you've given it and we think we're just so clever. Or we've gone to all the right seminars, taken all the right classes, sat under all the right leaders, And all that has helped but wisdom is both a skill and a gift. Thank you that you call us to come to you and if we are confused and if we lack wisdom we're told just ask. Ask. And you will grant it freely. Now you talk to God. Just in your own heart. If you were to say, Lord, you told me to ask. I'm asking. Here's the situation.
Just know you're not surprising him. He knows. But he's hoping you'll ask that you rely on him. And when it's over, you'll honor him by giving thanks and telling others what he's done. What is it where you need wisdom? Lord, I may not find how you granted wisdom until heaven to all these people. It may never be told to me. But just trusting in your promises, we're told, ask you, and you give it freely. And you also love it in heaven when your plan comes together. And all God's people said, Amen.